good evening. The podcast this evening is about the utopia of El Dorado. Uh, by about page uh, 42, uh, Voltaire has taken us through all of the disasters all the way across the Atlantic and we find ourselves in South America through Paraguay and eventually these guys wind up in what could only be described as an absolutely ideal society. It is free from all of the suffering and greed and pretension and uh, religious um, radicals that appear to exist throughout South America and all the way back to Europe. Europe. Um, It appears also that just about every little thing is not only catered for, but so outrageously over the top as to be provided for in a kind of, you know, diamond-encrusted... What was it? The the feathers. The hummingbird feather couch. I think I want one in my house. Uh, I would love to just kick back, you know, a bit of Netflix on my hummingbird feather couch. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, if anything, I suppose this is Voltaire's... um, in, in version of what currently exists in the human world for him um, and well I suppose it would still be a utopia right now yeah it definitely would be and I think that's you know the reason why he's given it the name El Dorado this mystical mythical not mystical it is a mythical place that can't possibly exist and at that time you know there were because of the the, the founding of the new world you know, this idea, this, this ancient Incan city existed that was you know, full of diamonds and, and rubies and, and whatnot existed and many men spent their entire lives searching for this place. And I think... It's like um, long lost gold or something in a like pi- a, pirate sort of... Yeah, yeah. You, know, it's the, you know, it's the same with those ideas of Atlantis except this time um, <laughs> uh, Voltaire has built it up as a utopia um, mm. precisely. So, and I think here he's, he's leaning on Thomas More's text called Utopia, written in 1516, um, because Thomas More's Utopia uh, was a treaty that a treatise rather that looked at being a criticism of contemporary European culture, um, very much in the same way that Voltaire's his whole thing, his whole text, Candide, you know, is an attack on every aspect of European society and culture at the time. Um, so Thomas More's saying, "Here's what." Europe doesn't have yep. I'm going to put all of those things into a story and show people how it could be bingo and he, so he wrote it sort of as this pseudo travel text of a place he'd actually been to and he described it in detail and how everything operated um, in this world and th- he had this idea of this uh, idea of true nobility where every single active person in society um, sorry every single citizen in society actively engaged in the running of the country. And I think... Um, Which is kind of what we want now. We would love that now. That, I recall that. <laughs> you remember that ridiculous budget with Joe Hockey and he said you're either a lifter or a leaner. And obviously he's referring to the lifters when he talks about those <laughs> people who want to contribute. Is this the same budget where you were seen smoking the cigar? That's exactly the one, yeah. yeah. That's right. And if you're on welfare, well, you're a leaner. You're Contribute. A so Thomas More <laughs> definitely was all about everyone being a lifter. Yes, but in a really um, noble sort of way. Oh, 100%. 
definitely noble. And he was a part of that Renaissance humanist movement, mm. um, looking at active citizenry. But and everyone, everyone being able to articulate and engage society, everyone being able to read, everyone being able to write. And you get that um, feeling in that that if that's the community you provide, it's that sense that you're better as a team than as a sum of its parts. You know, as an mm. individual, you can only do so much good. But if everybody's doing good cumulatively there'll be the world will be better off in some sort of way yeah it's very socialist i think in that way and we see mm. see that with voltaire on the in the previous chapter he does the similar thing um that's not to say that voltaire is in any way shaped in that manner this is very, no. this, is, this is well pre-marx yes, yes. well pre-marx yes. yes um yeah and thomas more you know looking at things like the 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 guy the pleasure was the guiding principle of life and I think we sort of see this here in El Dorado as well. Um, <laughs> most definitely with, I think really early, oh, we'll get to it in a minute, early on with uh, the meal that the, the, the boys, Candide and Cacambo, eat on arrival mm. in uh, El Dorado. Uh, they go to an inn and they eat four different soups, well, they could eat to choose from, four different soups with a brace of parents. Uh, boiled condor weighing 200 pounds, that's about 100 kilos. Two excellent roast monkeys, which sound delicious. I think of uh, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, yeah, straight yeah. away. Yeah. That's exactly. The and Temple the, of Doom. And the monkey head, and they yeah. eat the, bra- eat the yeah, brains. I'm imagining right. Candide doing that. Uh, a platter containing 300 birds of paradise, mm. and another of 600 hummingbirds. Hummingbirds time, must be they? extinct by this stage in this text, <laughs> because they're making couches out of them and they're eating them, together with some ex- exquisite ragouts and delicious pastries. Pastries. All served on platters of rock crystal, and variety of beverages made from sugar cane, and I think that's important too because it's this idea of the ridiculousness of this meal is that it's so over the top, it's so opulent, mm. um, and there's no way that these resources all could have fallen in the one economy. It's not a globalized economy where you can bring things in. No, this is all local. The, the very idea that all this exists as natural and local. Uh, agricultural produce absolutely and I think the other interesting thing is you know this is a this is a meal fit for a king but the very next line the beginning of the next paragraph most of the diners were tradesmen and wagoners it's like the bottom rungs of society yeah they're eating meals fit for a king so this is very much Thomas More's um, utopia as well in fact even to the point where the kids they come across who are playing stones in the street who are playing stones with gold and emeralds and rubies yeah um Candide actually says these royal children must be well brought up indeed since they are taught to despise gold and gems. And in fact, that's directly taken from Thomas More's Utopia. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. so he's the royal, fam- the, peop- the royal family in, the, in his Utopia. The kids are taught to despise gold and gems and not be greedy. And so, so funnily opposite. enough, it's a little bit like in this, these chapters that Voltaire is writing his own creative piece having used Thomas More's Utopia as his stimulus text, which is what some of our students will do That's right. for their creative writing piece, having read Voltaire's Candide. Voltaire has slipped in his own creative piece in here to just clock this here. <laughs> um, and I wonder what he would have got <laughs> in terms of a mark from Vika. Anyway, right. um, the, I thought what was interesting just before that is how they actually get there, because there's yeah. no, um, no one emigrates, immigrates to from uh, El Dorado at all. Those people who are there live there. The, the subjects appear to be 
confined to El Dorado, but happily confined to El Dorado. Yeah, and in fact, because the way that they get there is that they have to go. They're sailing down the river uh, through terrifying rocks and so on. Um, and only after 24 hours do they see daylight again and their canoe is smashed to pieces in the rapids and they finally drag themselves through a horrible scenario and when they get to the end of it, they find men and women of a singular beauty drawn with great rapidity by large red sheep. Um, Which alarms, oddly. Yeah, but I, I get this feeling that they're almost... The, the, the wool's ready to go. You know, you could just knit a jumper straight off the animal. It does sound that way. That's the picture that I got. I thought, imagine you got all these sheep out in the in the paddock and they're all already coloured. Just snip a bit off and make some gloves. Yeah, exactly. Make make a hat. <laughs> exactly. The thing I liked about that section is this ridiculousness of their, like you said, they drag themselves over boulders for an entire league, mm. which I can't remember how far that is. It's like two and a half kilometres or something ridiculous. Yes. Or more. I don't know. Um, but the, just before this ridiculous trip, Candide says, come on then. Let us put our trust in Providence. So he's still very much stuck in this idea of uh, Pangloss's optimism. You know, the very best will happen, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Confronts us. And there's this sense, I suppose, that that little horrible journey is meant to overemphasize the utopian nature of El Dorado. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Um, there is a direct discussion regarding God. Now, he makes lots of little allusions in his novel to the Jesuits. He certainly appears to have a hatred of how a number of Christian faiths and churches go about their business. Mm. Um, He definitely doesn't like that um, individuals can dominate power on the back of God, being representative of, of God. And... Interestingly, um, Candide can't actually speak the language in El Dorado. He needs a translator. Just so happens to have Cacambo there, who's a perfect ready-made... Look, don't look for narrative flaws in this. It's, it's designed... <laughs> plot at, holes abound. As, as satire. Um, and as such, it needs to have these little sort of coincidental um, things throughout... Uh, the discussion ensues anyway that um, Cacambo asks because uh, Candide wants him to what was the religion in El Dorado and the old man reddens and says can there be two religions we have I believe the religion of all the, of the world we worship God night and morning so Cacambo furthers and questions and says do you worship but one God um, and the old man, again, sort of perplexed, says, Surely there are not two, nor three, nor four. I must confess the people from your side of the world ask very extraordinary questions. Now, he does carry on, and we'll read through some of that as well, but the very suggestion that you could have created a god or that there could be any dispute about god, it would never even occur to the people of El Dorado. God is. It's just a, a, a fact. It's mm. like existence. It's like saying, um, the which air do you breathe? Yeah. You know, which which air are you into? So, um, the when it further's on, um, he asks, "Well, how do you pray?" And he said, "Well, we don't pray to him at all." 
We, we have nothing to ask of him. He's given us everything we need. Hummingbird couches. Yeah. <laughs> we thank him unceasingly. So everything's provided for. Um, and, and sure, the, this, this idea of God just doing it all is never in question. We just get on with our business. Um, and then he goes on to say, my friends, we are all of us priests. Mm. The king and the heads of each family sing solemn hymns of thanksgiving every morning to the accompaniment of five or six thousand musicians. <laughs> so it sounds like every family's got sort of their own large band. Yeah, um, just a bandstand at the back. Yes. Cranking out their hymns to God. Just... Just as an aside, I wouldn't like to be at rehearsal for those particular five or six thousand musicians all getting it together. But obviously we're not meant to think about that. The sense here is that they've got a wonderful life. They are actively invested in being quality citizens. Mm. And as such, they're also invested in being thankful for that. And each of them, the thing I like, and I think this is uh, Candide's, Voltaire's uh, criticism of European religion, so Catholicism, Protestantism, so on and so forth. The following of Christ. The following of Christ, yeah. Is that uh, the people in El Dorado have a direct connection to God. Yeah. Individually. Yes, God is part of them. And as a collective, God is part of them. Whereas in Europe at the time, in particular, your only access to God and your only interpretation of God was through someone else. Yes. So the priest, the pope, the bishop, the whatever, and they're fallible, and their their human nature is as corrupt as anyone else's, and so they're greedy and they're selfish. Yes. And so they would do things just to further themselves rather than give you access to God. Because Voltaire was all for God. Like he was a he believed in deism. He believed that there was a God. Mm. Uh, he just didn't think it was quite the way that Catholics or Christian religions perceived him to do or presented him to be quite right mm. yes and I, I suppose for our listeners what you the under the understanding here is that christianity is based on the bible the bible itself has been translated into latin largely up only up until about this stage handwritten by brothers priests, monks over and over and over they're the only ones who speak it largely mm. And therefore, the access of the community to that Christianity is through the dude who dominates that power, and that's the priest. And that's why sermons and homilies were so important. Yeah, and look, I mean, pre-Vatican II, and you may well have studied that in religion and society, you might not have. Effectively, my own mother, who's only 70, went to church in Latin as a little kid with the priest facing, facing away from the congregation. Facing the altar. Facing the altar, yeah. facing God, essentially, because that's symbolic. So, um, not to get too distracted from all of that, but Voltaire is saying these people implicitly appreciate God. God is not done to them. God's not a bolt-on faculty that you bring along in life like a um, picnic basket. It is, in fact, part of your pathology. It, it, it is part of who it, you it's, are. It's not anything that you question, much like my air illusion. It is, in fact, required or... It, it's part of existence. It is. It's part of yeah. the world. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's just like breathing air. It's no different. Yes, so just, to question it would be a waste of your time. Yeah, or to say, do you breathe a different air to me? Uh, no, it's the same air. Yeah, and, and like speaking to someone who is so certain of something, that it's awkward. You know, if you're asking a, 
mechanic about something as simple as, you know, the oil that runs through a car, they're just going to look at you like you're wasting their time. And I feel like this old man here is trying to be polite, but he's like, are these people for real? Mm. What, what, why on earth are you asking me what kind of air I breathe? Because it would be, imagine someone, which kind of air do you breathe? Can you imagine what your reaction would be? You'd be like, what, who is this Fruit Loop? Yes, but because they're your guests and you're invested in kindness and being a good human, you have to say, well, I breathe the type of air that everybody else does. Yeah. That really polite, like, I have to be nice to one of mum and dad's friends because they've been brought over for the evening, kind of, on my best behaviour. But he he really follows it through, even mm. though he's clearly put out by it because he reddens a bit or something. That's right. Even Candide asking... Uh, the thing I like about it, and you can you can hear Voltaire's sarcasm here. Mm. Having everyone, he asks when he asks about no monks instructing, disputing. I love the slide from instructing, disputing, governing, intriguing, <laughs> and having everyone burned alive who is not of their opinion. Yes, I love that. As see so much his view on organized religion as it was um, certainly there, and that we witnessed a little bit earlier in. Wherever they arrive first, Paraguay. Yes. Uh, and they have the no, sorry, Lisbon in Portugal, and they see the auto de fe. Oh yes, the, he hates that stuff. Yeah, and that's actually worth researching. Not really because you're going to write it in an essay or anything, but just so you know what happens during the Spanish Inquisition, you you just have to know that at its very worst, um, being forced to sign up to be a Catholic or whatever particular religion it was at any one time, went to the greatest ends of evil and murder and torture. Um, and it's just worth knowing that all of those things culturally influence Voltaire and academically influence him because the idea of religion is meant to be that it's the betterment of the self, the betterment of the human race, therefore the betterment of the world. Yes. But in fact, in its practice, it often comes off as the opposite and how it's meant to be is showcased here in El Dorado. Exactly, and he's how it's meant. Exactly how it's meant to be is here, and how it is currently. He we see everywhere else, and the reason why he says it is that way is because of the corrupt nature of uh, humanity. Mm. That we're selfish and greedy and and whatnot. And in El Dorado, we see the opposite of that. Well, yes. the inversion of that. I like that phrase, the inversion of that. And here we finally see Candide breaking down a little bit. His his love or his blindness to anything other than optimism. Yeah. And he says, you know, this is a far cry from Westphalia and my lord, the Baron's castle. Had our friend Pangloss seen El Dorado, he would not have kept saying that the castle was the best place on earth. Yes. Clearly, one has to travel in this world. Yes, that's right. He, um, and, and at a, a more elementary level, this is a straight challenge to everything that Pangloss says. Because if Pangloss is saying, well, there are disasters, but these disasters can be rationalised... And explained. Yeah, they go to El El Dorado and nothing needs to be rationalised. In fact, when they try to get rational about it, the old man's very confused. And I presume that would be how it would be for everything. You know, if, if they were to say, why are these pebbles on the ground such beautiful prized gems? Can you imagine the response of those kids chucking them about? To them, that's just gravel. Yeah. Which, in a, a kind of a way of thinking, um, w- invites the question, is everything perspective? You know, mm. is everything in our world perspective? Mm. Um, yeah, go, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I think even he, 
to continue the sort of egalitarian nature of mm. uh, El Dorado, even as after they leave the old man, they go and meet the king. Yep. And I really like this part where Candide asks... Uh, Your page there. 48. Yes. Candide asks the attendant, Cacumbo uh, asked one of the grand officers, no, sorry, Cacumbo asked, how he should go about greeting his majesty. Should he drop to his knees or prostrate himself on the ground as a lesser person would, as you would in European court? Oh, yes. Should you pay deference in a way of bowing and so on? Yeah. Should he lick the dust off the carpet, <laughs> off the floor? Yes. Uh, and in a word, what was the correct form? The custom, the grand officer replied, and here we see the egalitarian nature of El Dorado, is to hug the king and kiss him on both cheeks like an equal. Mm. Like, it's a very informal way of greeting someone, but it's also a very familiar, very equal way of um, greeting someone. I think this is you know, Voltaire trying to sort of even out society. And again, I think it comes back to that socialist nature of... I think Voltaire was very much someone who was up for the common good. Everyone working towards a com- the common good. Yes. And there's nothing to suggest here that in any way he's annoyed with Christ's philosophy. No. The philosophy of uh, being decent to your fellow man. Not just decent, but, you know, welcoming someone as you'd like to be welcomed is implicit in that. You know, there's no sense of the awkward uncle or awkward aunt in this. This is really, this is like seeing an old friend. Mm. Even on your first welcome with the king, you're meant to get that feeling of the old friend hug. Mm. And, and that's a beautiful moment, you know? Yes. Think, think beginning of uh, Love Actually, all those little moments of all those people <laughs> hugging at the airport. Those are the moments that are presupposed these in the custom to hug the king and kiss him on both cheeks. Yeah, like you would that person who's just come back from a long trip. Exactly. Um, but <laughs> the, the que- what presupposes it is the question about licking dust and bowing and bending and so on. Which is the normal European custom in for those of lower class in front of the king in yeah. the court. Yes, that's right. So that, that represents his criticism of power, power in Europe. Um, it, just in that tiny little bit, in fact, there's plenty to look at if you consider exactly how ridiculous our customs are mm. when, in fact, what is ridiculous in their society is just the plethora of, um, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it, where, where, where rich things are just so over the top? Opulence? Yes, that's right. Plethora of opulence. Right that. Op- a myriad of opulence. Yeah. No? Plethora? I don't know. Well, this is a word bank exercise. Write these words plethora down. Plethora <laughs> of opulence. Yeah. That's um, definitely what El Dorado is all about, is a plethora of opulence. And you think then, as a result of that, the Candide and Cucumba would be wrapped with the place that found, and I think Voltaire's trying to make a really clear point here about Europeans, Europeans, but also about human nature, when after they've spent a whole month there, um, mm. Candide starts saying that, you know, this is definitely better than where I grew up, um, but, you takes know... Takes him a month. <laughs> takes him a month to work that out. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Kunigonde's not here, and doubtless you've got a mistress somewhere in Europe. He's obviously a man of the world, old Kukumbo. Mm. Um, if we remain here, this is the thing I like. If we remain here, we shall be just like everyone else. Mm. But if mm. we return to the old world with only a dozen sheep loaded with Eldoradian pebbles, mm. the gold, the gems and whatnot, we shall be richer than all the kings put together. We shall no longer have inquisitors to fear and we shall easily rescue Kunagonde. And I think it's at this point that we see the sort of the greed 
as even someone as pure and as wholesome as Candide and as honest, well, that's probably him being extremely honest. Um, we see him here choose to no longer be happy mm. and not have this perfect egalitarian society and instead go back to Europe where he would be the richest of rich mm. in all of... In fact, at one point he says, you know, we can decide what kingdom we shall buy. Yes, that's right. And that's that I've written in my uh, annotations, Greener Grasses. Good, yes. For, particularly for the reason this is uh, the European superego completely controlling their decision-making. Because, I don't know, I suppose we would like to think that if we came upon a utopia like this, we would be forever satisfied. Whereas, you know, they're sort of interested, they're into it. Um, I've heard someone say that they're bored. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. But also, I don't know that I necessarily buy that he's completely out on this... um, archetypal quest to find and save Kunagonda and, you know, ride off into the... <laughs> He's definitely not doing that. Yeah, I know, but there, that's... I mean, if you had to argue... What, oh. Because the question here is, why do they leave? So they've arrived at, at a utopia where just the pebbles on the ground are enough to sustain them anywhere else in the world. In several but lifetimes. Everything else is provided for in a way too opulent fashion, as you said. Mm. Um, but th- the the sense here is, the straight answer is, well, I love Kunagonda. I said that I would marry her. So I'm going to chase her down. Absolutely. And I like it that it says, you know, Voltaire describes our two happy wanderers resolved to be happy no longer and sought the king's permission to depart. So they chose deliberately yes. to no longer be happy. Yeah, that's right. They don't actually say that. They do, though. That's the narrative. They narrative don't say that. That is Voltaire says that. Yeah. yeah. So, he so, describes them. Yes. Uh, it's funny, though. When they request departure, the, the king. king's answer is gold. He says, this is a foolish <laughs> scheme. You know, like your grandfather might say to you if you decide to spend money on a car that's worth too much or something. He just straight says, nah, bad idea. But bad he call. says, yeah, bad call. Bad Terrible call. Terrible call. Horrific call. Yeah. Yeah. I am well aware that my country is nothing to write home about. Like, and if you can just hear in this that there's a, um, a relaxed decency about him not mm. being um, arrogant about what where he's come from, he's just... You know, just saying this... Very self-effacing. Yeah, this is just home. Yeah. Um, but when you're reasonably happy somewhere, you should stay put, right? I love that bit. Now, that is their philosophy. The philo- It's contrary to the philosophy of the Euro- European, who would, if you look, read two paragraphs back, what we are talking about before, is that if you find something where you're happy... Try to go and force that on other people, or even look for something better. Look for something better. Upward social mobility. That's what it was all about. Yeah. See the rise of that at this stage in history. Yeah. Sort of movement in the class rock, system. The class system. Yeah. The bourgeois and all that sort of stuff. The rise of the merchant class, and that's. Yeah. So I, I I'll just finish that little quote. Sorry. It's on page forty nine. Um, and really, this is this raises this is the answer. I think, that Voltaire is saying. He's saying this is how it should be. I, I certainly have no right to prevent strangers from leaving. That species of tyranny has mm. no place in our customs or our laws. Like We don't force people to do stuff. They all choose to have inherent enjoyment in their current existence. And we would never, ever force 
something on anyone else, nor should we, because the line directly after that is, all men are free. Which is the complete opposite of what's happening in Europe. Exactly. And you would presume that this comes from someone from the French Revolution. He's not part of the French Revolution. He's Mm pre-Revolution. But with lines like this, you can see why those people two generations later happily are saying that the free will of men is the thing that should be provided for. Hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, basically says, well, leave whenever you please. You know, we're not going to force you to stay here. But the lengths he has to go to, I think he just continues the ridiculousness of El Dorado mm. because the lengths they have to go to to just get to them get out, out. Yeah. 20 million pounds of sterling silver <laughs> to build some machine to get them over the mountains. Oh, that's right. They have to effectively build like a time machine to get them out of there. Effectively, yes. It is outrageous. Uh, but he says, we'll do it for you because yeah, you're we'll our guests. 3,000 skilled engineers worked at the problem for two weeks at a cost of a mere... 20 million pounds in sterling silver. Two weeks is a good effort. They should yeah. go. Now, that's, just as an aside here, just so I can sound bright about something, um, that's, in fact, where pounds comes from. So the, the British pound, the Australian pound, is oh, I mean, the weight mm-hmm. of... Uh, I don't know. Is it silver or is it gold? Silver. Yeah, it may well be because it's sterling, isn't it? Yeah. Pound sterling. Pound sterling. It's still yeah. called that. Yeah, pound that's sterling. right. And so that, that originally was how... They created that currency. Currency, yes. Um, and in fact, why it's listed there um, in that pounds in sterling silver, presumably, um, which was the currency of that country. Uh, presumably, that's a link to English, um, to, to the England where Candide moved for a little while. Um, look, ultimately, there's a lot left for you to discover out of the chapter, um, but it does provide a great in for a change of perspective. So were you writing from the position of the old man or even the king, king or, or any um, member any Eldoradan, you would be able to you would be as perplexed by these European guests as they would be of you. Um, I think the sense here is that you can't change the style of writing necessarily, but you can um, keep up the curiosity of it all mm. which makes it very interesting um, the, they, they exit with enough what do they say enough, um, enough. Ri- riches to uh, basically to own most of Europe I think um, and of course subsequently it, it, most of it's lost because he has to pay for things and gets ripped off and so on um, Two large red sheep, saddled with and proud of them, da, 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 20 pack sheep laden with provisions, 30 more carrying gifts, mm. 50 laden with gold and diamonds and other precious stones. That's a lot of sheep with stuff. Yeah, it is a lot of sheep with stuff. That's a lot of diamonds and gold. Yeah. Um, and look, uh, just a nice in for you if you're choosing to do creative writing out of this is the phrase, their departure was a curious spectacle. I think that if you took that as a limited perspective, that curious spectacle, you could be saying that that's how the people of El Dorado felt about watching them leave. Um, And that there's a nice little in there. Um, At a broader level, talking about this from a philosophical point of view, or were this, um, were an extract to come up for this, or a passage to come up for this, for your close analysis task, all of this is about the uh, philosophy, religion, and about human happiness, I think. Uh, But enjoy your reading and writing, and thank you for tuning in.